the Black Shore Arts Hour. Hello, it's another episode of the Black Shore Arts Hour, and we are here for real in person. We're back from our holidays. It's me, Ellie Pitkin, and I am with Matt Boothman. Hello, I'm back. Yes, good. We've had a lovely time, haven't we, Matt? Yes. We uh, both went on holiday together. Yep, took advantage of the sun. Yes. Ish. Sort of. I mean, it didn't rain except on that day it rained. Yes. Uh, and yeah, well, I mean, didn't get sunburned, which is always no, a plus. It's true. We went to the beach. We went to a lovely place called Deal on the Kent coast with some friends and uh, stayed in a haunted house. Yes, it wasn't billed as such. No, I'd have been more, even more excited about going had I known how haunted it would be. <laughs> but it was very haunted. Yeah, fully stocked with haunted objects. Which uh, is very suitable for today's episode because we will be talking about our upcoming event. It is, of course, our annual Scare Slam. Uh, tickets are now on sale, so exciting times. I'm waving my excited bells. bells I, haven't of got, joy. I haven't got my tickets yet. Are there going to be enough left? Well, they only went on sale today, so I think you'll be okay. Okay, phew. But, you know, go quick to your keyboard to tap a tap a bye bye. <laughs> I, I will do that. <laughs> That's going to be the official blurb. <laughs> it's on the press release. Um, great. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. First, we're going to do a thing that we usually do at the beginning of a show, and it's this thing. The Matt Boothman Film Review. So good, I put my trousers back on. Matt, what are you reviewing for us today? Well, we've had a few weeks off, so I'll do a double header this time so we can do yes, a bit of catching up. Double bill. I'm sorry, by the time this comes out, these films will probably <laughs> not be in the cinema anymore, but you can look forward to them on Blu-ray and Netflix and things. That's right, old people who get Blu-rays. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes, please. Uh, and The Spy Who Dumped Me. Delightful. A pair of comic espionage double acts. Yes, a pair of pairs. Yeah. Lovely. So, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the sequel to Ant-Man. It is a Marvel Universe movie with all the superheroes and the punching. Mm. Um, And this time, uh, Evangeline Lilly's character, uh, Hope Van Dyne the Wasp, actually gets her name in the title. She does. Um, Proper equal billing. Still comes second, but, you know. Yeah. (laughs) It's a step in the right direction, Matt. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it is a, it's one of the, the lighter it's like one of the lighter mm. stories available from yeah. the Marvel <laughs> Universe yes it is it doesn't take itself as seriously as things like the Iron Man yes or the Infinity War That's which is correct. the last one that we had from them oh my god so serious <laughs> yes yeah, so it's a bit of a palate cleanser from that um, and it is sort of uh, corporate espionage hijinks um, with a bit of heist thrown in and superpowers it is car chases yes. it's good it's very good. It's very funny. Yeah, it's it's um, it's quite a it's quite an optimistic film. I thought, mm-hmm. like overall, it's it's kind of um, like the message of it is kind of about letting people in and yeah. like working together and not you know no man is an island and all of that. Like doing science together to and you can achieve more when you're not isolating yourself and sort of not being trusting. Yes, science friends. Yeah, um, and then spy who dumped me. Um, also has sort of stuff to say about that, but I feel like it's a bit more confused. So this is the this stars Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. Yep. Um, and Mila Kunis's character Audrey, um, her boyfriend goes uh, leaves her, dumps mm. her via text, mm. and then it turns out he was a spy. What? But how did you guess that? <laughs> you couldn't have guessed that before you saw the film. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the two of them uh, get sucked into the into that spy life. Yeah, her and her busy mate. Yeah, Kate McKinnon's. Yeah, and it it sort of um, there are. I feel like I detect conflict in behind the scenes of this film Ooh. in terms of what what they wanted to what they wanted like the the final thing that it leaves you with to be. Okay, whether they wanted it to be. Um, you can't trust men at all. You can only <laughs> trust your busy mates. Kill all men, yeah. yeah. Um, like when it, you know, when it comes to it, when you're in a tight situation, uh, only trust the people who really, really know you. Yeah. Um, but there were also forces 
uh, in, behind the scenes pulling towards a uh, standard hetero, like, got to end up with the good-looking man. The happily ever after. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess there's a sort of a thing in there about, like, you need to learn who are the right people to trust. Like, which... Yeah. That you have to trust the people who are actually going to build you up and who aren't going to, like, underestimate you. There's a lot about that in the kind of the yes. last act. It's like, you be you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like, I can be awesome, and if you don't recognise that, then that's your problem. Bin it off. Yeah. Um, there's this there's this thread running all the way through it. There's this... Um, uh, British spy uh, Sebastian, who is a, a supposedly a colleague of the X, yes. Um, who uh, for a lot of the movie there is um, a, like a seesawing of can he be trusted or not? Whose side is he? Goody baddie, goody baddie. Good yeah. And <laughs> rather than that resolving in any kind of like sensible logical way, mm. or like the thing that you that some that sometimes happens in these sorts of plots where there is kind of the third option that is kind of, it's neither just like get rid of him completely. Um, that it, there seems to just be a point in the script where they just, that they just picked almost arbitrarily and went, okay, she needs to trust him now. Right. <laughs> and so the character is like, after what just happened, I trust you now. Whereas actually the evidence on both sides for like whether he's trustworthy or not seems to be reasonably yeah. like, persuasive on both yeah, counts. Yeah, so it's like there's not really a solid reason for actually why she'd suddenly... Other than the movie needs there to yeah, be like plot. a trustworthy chap yes. for her to end up with at the end. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I sort of detected like that there might have been some push and pull maybe in the scripting process because mm. there were there seemed to be other points where it was pulling towards a um let's not end up with either of these yeah, garbage yeah. men yeah. who who keep stringing you along and um like saying they're on your side while pointing a gun at you under a table yeah uh but yeah that's the way it ends up um so that kind of bit up behind the scenes conflict um caused problems for the first ant-man to go oh, right. to swing back in that direction okay. again um, because there was a change of director halfway through the process mm. so Edgar Wright was directing it and then they brought someone else in to, to finish it off after I can't remember whether he walked or whether they kicked him so that that caused problems for the first Ant-Man and um, so that there were like you could almost tell oh this scene was directed by one person and this scene was directed by another person and it just didn't quite stylistically hang together um, and Thankfully, there is no sign of that in Ant-Man and the Wasp. It is much more like consistent mm. in terms of its vision. Peyton Reed uh, directed it. Um, it's got. It's just a lot more. Um, uh, it hangs together as one thing a lot better. I'm kind of sad to see some of the playfulness gone from some of the fight sequences. That was something that was really distinctive about the scenes that Edgar Wright directed in the first one. Was like, so Ant-Man and the Wasp have shrinky, growy powers, mm-hmm. and that can give you like that is an inherently zany thing to be playing with in a punching scenario um and i feel like edgar wright understood that and had a good feel for how to get interesting visuals and good comedy out of that happening um whereas the fight scenes seem feel a bit more like generic superhero fight scenes in this one but it does handle the zaniness well in car chases Yes. So they've introduced shrinky, growy powers to car chases in yes. this film, and that is much more fun. Yep. So I don't know whether it's just that it's fresher. Like, I've seen shrinky, growy fights before, but yeah. I haven't seen shrinky, growy car chases before, so that's the bit that grabbed me. I wonder if it was a conscious decision on the basis that, oh, you know, the, the shrinky, growy fighting's been done. Maybe. I want to make my mark on something slightly different. Or even about the characters being more adept at fighting mm-hmm. now because they've had time to settle into the powers of the suits and because there still was a lot of growing and shrinking yeah. of people while yes. they were fighting, just not so much of stuff. <laughs> um, so it was so it did have a much more feeling of like a serious fight mm-hmm. rather than it being fun. Um, but yeah, you're right. The car chases were hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. 
So while I'm I'm sad to see some of that zaniness gone from that sort of thing, I'm I'm happy to see the movie as a whole hanging together better as a package. Yeah, I agree. It's got a kind of interesting reverse heist plot yes. where the the heroes <laughs> have something valuable stolen from them yeah. and have a time limit to get it back. Um, and shrinky growy powers mean that the thing that they're trying to get back, like the MacGuffin of the movie, can be something that you haven't really we haven't really seen in a movie before fulfilling that role. Whereas the the MacGuffin, the thing that everybody's trying to get in Spy Who Dumped Me, is the most generic spy movie MacGuffin yeah. ever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, were, they almost would have been better off never saying what it actually was yes. and just being like, you don't need to know what this is, just all the spies want it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it had to be either what it was or like an antidote. <laughs> yeah. They were the, the, the obvious options. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think kind of symptomatic of the fact that Spy Who Dumped Me is just using the, like, it is using the generic spy movie tropes Mm, of mm. spies need to get a thing, nobody knows who to trust, everybody's very suave, except for our heroes, um, as trappings to hang comedy around. So I think it's fine that all of the spy stuff is completely generic. Yeah, because it's not the point. No, it's not the point at all. It's throw, it's a fish out of water comedy, right? Yes. Throw these people who are not spies into a spy scenario i think mila kunis her comedy chops just get stronger and stronger and stronger she's so good yeah it's so a couple of scenes that really stand out are there's one that's in the trailer so if you can look up the trailers and and see this one and see Mm -hmm. if it's for you is when they try and steal a car and neither of them can drive a manual (laughs) it's very good So we just have this very, very slow motion collision down a shallow incline. The engine's not even on, is it? They've just taken the handbrake off. They're just grinding so the gearbox. Rolling. Um, uh. and, and a scene where they're both being quite brutally interrogated mm. and trying to prove that they are not holding anything back. Yes, they're being by very, just very honest. Spouting every secret that they know about each other. <laughs> to the good. To the absolute sort of non-plusness of the interrogator. Yeah. <laughs> it's very... I want to watch it again, having yeah. remembered those bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is It is funny. It's, yeah, um, yeah, I totally get what you're saying about um, Sam Hewen's character being j- just kind of a little bit lost, because I think it would have been... It does feel like they hadn't decided at the beginning of the film yeah. what they wanted him to be. Um, whether he was going to be good, bad, or neither, and he just sort of ends up being a bit of a, bit being a bit being a bit flat at the end. Yeah, this is the thing is, it's like he he doesn't end up actually being characterised as good or bad, or or, mm. or or well, doesn't end up being as good specifically, but he is treated as if he has got to that point yeah. by by yeah. what then happens in the narrative. If anything, actually, he's being used the way a lot of women are in films previously, <laughs> which is that he's a prop towards yeah. the end, really. He's not even... It doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter what his personality is. He's the prop for yeah. Mila Kunis's ending. Yes. Uh, you know, he is the... Uh, I mean, he's sort of an antagonist for a lot of it because he keeps yeah. getting in the way of... When, when their goal is just to go home and get mm. away from all of the violence and everything, he is the one who keeps showing up and bringing yeah. them back into it. Yeah. I really enjoyed um, Gillian Anderson's performance as yeah. well. <laughs> yes, very, very deadpan and droll. So brilliant. Really, really good. And um, the nice little backstory to it being that Kate McKinnon absolutely idolised her as a kid and dressed <laughs> oh, right. up as her for Halloween. <laughs> well, as in, like, dressed up as her... Um, off of X Files, yeah, uh, and had like the biggest crush on her. So to then be in a film with her was like a dream come true. Playing a character who has a massive crush on <laughs> yeah, her character. I, yeah, I suspect that was not uh, a big coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to play a character that wants to just touch you all the time. Um, sorry, it's just in the script. <laughs> um, uh, it passes the Bechdel test with flying colours. Good. Uh, in a, I think, in a train station bathroom was when I just clocked that, yeah. checked that off the mental checklist. Yeah. Um, in a kind of like, um, uh, like women uplifting each other sort of scene, of which there are several in it. Yes. Um, which sort of plays into that that theme that I felt coming through of like trust your trust your mates and mm-hmm. not really anybody else. Yeah. Like, there's this thing going through the whole movie of um, Mila Kunis's character Audrey 
feeling a bit stuck in a rut and like always doing herself down and like accepting when other people do her down. And then she's got this massively exuberant best friend, Morgan, yes. uh, in Kate McKinnon's character, who is there to basically just boost her up at every possible opportunity and not let her fall down. Mm-hmm. Which is good. It's a good dynamic. It's great. No, I really, really enjoyed it. I would like to see them working together again, please. Yeah, definitely. We should mention, of course, uh, um, we've uh, reviewed Mila Kunis on this podcast before, mm-hmm. way back in, I think, our first or second episode when mm. she was in the now cult classic Jupiter Ascending. Oh, God, it's not a cult classic, <laughs> man. <laughs> there might be a cult, literally a cult, built around the film, but it is not a cult classic. Which I think was the beginning of her comedy chops coming through, though. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. She's very good in Bad Mums. Bad Mums. 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 Which is on Netflix at the moment, if anyone's interested. (laughs) Oh, good to know. Uh, Yeah, and I really enjoyed Ant-Man. I mean, I think Paul Rudd is just always great. Yep. Um, And it has that, like, talking, going back to the beginning when I was saying it's a kind of a nice, optimistic, warm film. Yeah. The fact that the, the, quote, villain is... An, a, more of an antagonist than a villain in that yeah. she is getting in the way of what the heroes want yeah. but she is not a bad person yeah. by any means and that um, not to spoil it too much I'll try and be vague that, that as soon as they actually discover what her deal is the whole dynamic flips to mm. everybody wanting to help yeah. her rather than I um, think it's much better when the antagonist slash villain mm. is a person mm. with issues rather yeah. than that's a big green blood monster <laughs> coming to get us. It's yeah. like, well, that's quite a limited in its scope, really. Yeah, it's something that Marvel's been criticised for before and that they seem to be getting better at. Yeah. Um, I guess as they bring in different scriptwriters and stuff. Yeah. And I have to say with Ant-Man, make sure you watch the post credit sequences, yeah. guys. Yeah. The mid-credit sequence, yes. I think the post-credit sequence was the one that I thought was basically not worth it. Oh, yes. Yes, yes I agree. I agree. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did stay to watch it and I was like, eh. Yeah. But I mean, nothing after the mid-credit sequence was going to be particularly interesting. Uh, this is true. <laughs> oh, I was shook, guys. Yeah. so shook. Um, brilliant. Well, I, would, you, would you recommend yeah. seeing both of those I things? Would, I'd recommend both of them, yes. Excellent. Yeah. How you about you? You've seen your... them both as well. Anything yeah. more to add? Uh, no, mm. I added bits as we went, mm. but um, oh, I suppose it mm. might be worth mm. adding um, from a purely shallow mm. point of view that anyone who enjoys Outlander for Sam Hewen's good looks, he still looks great in The Spy That Dumped Me. So. A, I presume he doesn't wear a suit in Outlander. He doesn't. He wears so a kilt. So it's a different kind of... Different kind of brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I also really visually appreciate Kate McKinnon. So, you know, something for everyone in there, I think, pretty much. <laughs> they both get to wear some good outfits yes. in that film. And Kate McKinnon does an mm. amazing aerial acrobatics also. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of spandex. So um, there really is something for everybody. Anyway, we will move on now. Uh, I am going to... Well, I think I'm just going to demonstrate uh, before I explicate... We're going to play a little clip of the Scare Slam from last year, and uh, then we'll have a chat about this year's plan. So, pop this in your ears. Okay, back to the scary. Ooh. See, this is the thing. I always want to make jokes, but really I've got to keep you in the zone. Ooh. Uh, next up, I don't know why I bothered trying to get you in the zone because this I feel like this one's probably going to be funny. Uh, this is The Fatberg of Whitechapel by Reese Connolly. Now, um, I unfortunately have just got it in my head that I need to call Reese Fatberg from now on. <laughs> he seems fine with it. Um, Reese is a writer and theatre maker based in East London, originally from deepest, darkest Northumberland. He grew up next door to a Victorian cemetery in a household of one-eyed cats, dead farmers' ghosts, garden fairies, and a thing made of rags that lived in the attic. It probably explains why he loves scary stuff so much. (laughs) He is involved in two productions at this year's horror festival, having written and co-directed Mr. Mushroom, and written and directed The Stomaching, in which he also performs as a psychotic nun. (laughs) You've come off really balanced here, Reese. Mentally, I mean. so everybody, give it up for the Fatberg of Whitechapel. It's Reese. 
Hello. It's me, the filth and the fury, an accumulated mass-produced mess, a snowball from hell, an avalanche no less. Fuzzy, furry, white, with bristling, spreading mold, and the heady stink of shite. I am the Fatberg of Whitechapel. Pleasure to finally meet, because I've been growing a while now under the city streets, fed by the gutters, the drains, a million gushing pipes. I am excrement, chip fat, toilet tissue, a billion stained wet wipes. Several thousand curries ejected in a hurry, bloody tampons, plastic bottles, a soda can, vomit and grease, old socks, a severed toe, the myriad ablutions of modern man. I am what you flush away and hope to forget, the waste, the unwanted, last night's regrets. But sewage never forgets. Down here, everything floats and sometimes it sticks, comes together, gossips, bloats, and monsters are born. A dozen buses heavy, two football pitches long, I heave, I throb, ever growing, impossibly strong, spreading and steaming, suffocating rats as I stretch, adding their sweet disease and salty proteins to the rest. Occasionally, I belch, and somewhere near Olgate East, a manhole cover quivers, sending shivers down the spine, putting chatters in the teeth of passers-by who fear without knowing what will always lie beneath. And a smile cracks out across my vast mottled gums. But my guts, they're aching, which could still be the condom, still floppy with lukewarm cum, always hard to digest latex. But it's not that, it's the hunger. This hunger, it's a constant, oldest time itself. I want, need more of what you offer. That infinite wealth of cooking oil, pubic shavings, clipped toenails, bleach, pet goldfish, battery acid, dirty shower water. Each and every one will sink and fold into my infinite rolls, building up the beast. But even beasts can be hunted. To some, their prizes, game. A danger to society, it's always the same bloody old shit I hear and read in soggy oozing newsprint about pollution and bad plumbing. Such a crying shame that you mistake me for what I'm not. Some unthinking, faceless clot in the arteries of London. And you'll have men come down with hammers, drills, chisels and flashlights on their heads. Knights in hazmat suits and gas masks come to clean me dead, to poke and prod and chop to bits, it's true! It's what I read, what Sadiq himself has said. Page 13, Evening Standard, only yesterday. Thank you, coincidentally, to whoever flushed that my way. Typical <laughs> cowardly apes. So the time has come for the return, the regurgitation, the mother of all splashbacks. You send a team to kill me, I'll soon stop them in their tracks. I'll pull them into my popping skin, dissolving beyond doubt, crushing ribs beneath hardened fat till all the juicy bits come spilling out. Then I'll start moving down the waterway, spreading wherever the sewers go, sending long, thrashing tentacles out from Bethnal Green to Pimlico, one for every pipe and drain, every plug hole, toilet bath, every council flat and townhouse, every office and greasy calf, every restroom and urinal, every bar and shopping mall, every supermarket, school and theatre. I'll aim to hit them all. I'll crawl up past your U-Bend, slither out across the floor, slip over your kitchen tiles, carpet, searching, sensing more and more and more the telltale sign of your breathing within a safe, warm bed. It's here I'll do my dirtiest work as I wrap myself round your head, pushing my moist, muddy growths down into your sleeping gullet, reaching into lungs, livers, bellies and bottom bits, a show, slow, surefire bullet. Cleaning you out like a chimney sweep mite, hoovering up nice meaty chunks, rinsing your bowels for hours and hours with each impassioned dunk. And before you even try, hang up the phone. Even Dynarod can't save you now. I'll erupt in Buckingham Palace from that most royal of thrones, and in Downing Street, just as every other street, I'll come and pick some bones and forcibly donate some organs. Well, this is what you get when you fucking compare me to Piers Morgan! I'm turning the city shitty, staying out all night, painting the town brown. <laughs> London digested in a single night, that's all it's gonna take, but it's only stage one of all of the fun I've got planned to make the earthquake. I'll climb to the top of the BT Tower, and whilst I'm there, I'll compose my ultimate thought shower, putting the shout out all across the world, a psychic war cry, a call to power to all my fellow fatbergs from Washington to Dubai, Nigeria to Transylvania, Bombay to Saint-Tropez, Greece to Nice to Tunisia, Tokyo to downtown LA, from New York, New York to County Cork, I'll urge my siblings to rise and seize the means of production, let us all unite and mobilize so we can brutalize and colonize to claim our ultimate prize, a global conquest, soaked in sewage. 
a new age, the next page of Earth's dominant species with the universe in our sights. So muse upon this, if you might, as you evacuate your bowels later tonight, or tomorrow morning, or the day after that, and recognize whatever you flush, whatever you've just shat out, is destined for such greatness, of that you can bet. Remember what I said, sewers never forget, down here amongst the tissues, the rubbish, grease, oil, and poo. A guilty secret or two, the monsters are growing, and they're coming for you. The Blackshaw Art Hour. Ooh, that's a tasty air treat. I've got chills. Are they, they multiplying? They are multiplying. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good niche reference. Not that niche. Um, yeah, so this year's Scare Slam is going to be the same format. It is uh, stories that people tell standing in front of a microphone, in front of an audience. Uh, that can be things that really happen to them or they can be poems, or they can be extracts from novels, or they can be short stories. Pretty much any kind of spoken word is is what we're looking for. Uh, up to five minutes. Um, all the information, guidelines, etc. if you would like to take part as a performer, are on our website, blackshawonline.com. And you can also go there to get tickets if you just want to watch the show and get the bejesus scared out of you. It's on the 12th of October, which is a Friday... I believe is party time uh, it's at 9.30pm so you've got plenty of time to get there um, and have some food and whatever after work and uh, tickets are a very reasonable 12 or £10 depending on whether you are a full price or concessionary person yes that's all the information <laughs> right <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by all the information oh I should say it's at the old red line theatre <laughs> that is true yes in uh, sunny Islington Yes, not always sunny, probably not at 9.30. Uh, pro- yeah, and probably not in October, I guess. No, but it's definitely in Islington. Uh, and it's by Angel Tube Station. So, easy to get to, folks. Very. Hmm. So, um, I hope we'll be getting lots of exciting uh, applications to perform. The deadline, if you want to submit, is midnight, the witching hour, on Friday the 28th of September. So, you have time yet to send in your submissions. Uh, and if you're if you're writing something, you don't have to necessarily perform it yourself. If you're not comfortable doing that, you can appoint a person. Absolutely. A performer. Yes, indeed, and that is that is good. We you are can, happy you, either way. You can you can speak your words through their body like they're a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, good. All right. Well, I think um, we can talk now about something that is pretty much just as scary as the scare slam which is uh, the plight of women in the world of arts and indeed the world in general. Uh, should we start with the world in general or the world of theatre? Let's start with the world in general, shall we? And All narrow right. down. Great. World in general. Um, fantastic uh, company that are friends of Blackshaw, Non-Zero One, have got a fantastically wonderful project going on called Put Her Forward. And it is essentially all about the fact that in the UK... There are not very many statues of ladies, are there, Matt? I have not seen very many, certainly, so I believe their statistics. So, yeah, according to their website, uh, which is nonzero1.com, there are 925 public statues in England. Would you like to guess how many of them are women? Uh, oh, well, it should be roughly half, right? Or, or slightly <laughs> over? Should be, shouldn't it? Slightly over. 158 are of women. So 158 out of 925, which actually is not as not as low as I was expecting. I was expecting lower. <laughs> Expectations were low yeah. already for this. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, unfortunately, it gets a bit worse because um, when you take out royals and mythical women, that's women who didn't even ever exist, we're left with 25. Oof. And compared to 900 and some, that is not a good proportion. No, it's not. So 25 women who existed at some point in our history and did something that was deemed worth remembering. Other than being born with a crown on. Yep. Uh, Then they also say uh, there are more statues of men called John. Oof. And there are more statues of goats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we just love our statues of goats in this country, apparently. Yep, 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 yep. So uh, they've been doing brilliant work um, getting people to nominate women who have inspired them. And it can be 
people who are I say in quotes normal people um plebs plebs that's right peasants um the yeah, you might have seen the hashtag hashtag put her forward uh, yeah. all over the interwebs that's what that's all been about mm-hmm. uh and they've now um selected their their women to be statuified they have that's uh, and uh, I believe, as we record, they have in fact completed the statuification process. <laughs> so, what this is this is a fun uh, sort of um, technology inspired thing. Uh, once they had their nominations uh, or or their their final list of mm-hmm. uh, women to statuify, they went round and they scanned them all um, and have three D printed statues of them based on actual scans of them. Um, so they're they're. And they're really, I've seen a few of them and they're really cool. They're about sort of, they're a foot or two high um, and, you know, put them standing on a little plinth and mm-hmm. they uh, and they look great. It's very yeah. cool. Technology and art coming yeah. together. Um, so they've been going around presenting the statues, unveiling the statues. Um, and you can, you can see all of that on their, on their magic website places. <laughs> like I said, donzero1.com has got all the links. Um, they are on Twitter, Facebook. I recommend their Instagram stories. Uh, yes, they are. They have a, a good, um, like, uh, visual diary of the road trip that the company is on, um, visiting all of these museums and places and women and doing all of these mm-hmm. unveilings. Yeah, so it's a brilliant, brilliant project. Um, I would encourage you all to go and have a little look. And they are even. Um, telling us the percentage um, by which they're increasing the number of statues of women in the country because unfortunately uh, the number is so low that when you do this project it actually makes a massive difference yeah so there you go yeah who says art doesn't have real achievable results sometimes such deliverables Uh, measurable outcomes oh so tasty oh rubbing my funding application knees as we speak uh, okay, so narrowing down our field mm. into the world of theatre. Yeah, specifically the world of West End London. Th- oh, I think it is it West End. It's off West End London theatre. Yes, that's right. So um, for the past few years, um, Victoria Sadler has been putting together uh, the statistics on female written plays being performed in these London theatres. Yeah, in a, a selected eight London, eight major London venues. Yeah, so those venues are... The Almeida, The Bush, The Donmar Warehouse, The Hampstead, The National, The Old Vic, The Royal Court and The Young Vic. Yep, they're the big ones. Uh, and they've been ranked according to their in- inclusion of, of female playwrights on their... In, in their program of the year, yeah. pretty much. So yeah. um, the the list usually comes out around this time of year because this is this is the point at which theatres have announced their entire season up to the new year. So this is the point at which Victoria Sadler can crunch the numbers. Yeah. Um, so she she looks at um, just the raw numbers of how many plays did each theatre program. Uh, over the year and how many of those plays were written by women yep um, but she also looks at factors like how long did each play run for mm-hmm. um, and where the where the playwrights came from in certain cases um, and which spaces in the theatres uh, they were programmed in yes because otherwise the numbers can be somewhat misleading um, and unfortunately quite a lot of the female playwright um, plays had much shorter runs and were in smaller spaces. Yeah. So uh, no women in the Olivier, no. but several in the Dorfman, which is the Nationals' smaller space. Yeah. I love the Dorfman. It's lovely. Um, but the Olivier is very prestigious and it would be good to have not all dudes in there. It would. It would. <laughs> uh, sausage fest. Um, so at number one which, as she notes, is surprising. So doing the best is The Hampstead. Surprising because it has not done very well in this list in previous years. No. So, um, for example, Hampstead Downstairs, they six out of the eight plays were written by women. 
uh, with at least half coming from women of colour. So that's that's some pretty good action going on. Yep. Um, the 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 other factor to be looking at there is that apparently a lot of them are are American. Yep. So even when uh, a theatre is um, programming a decent number of women, they're still not necessarily celebrating uh, homegrown talent. Yeah. So there are a lot of uh, a lot of female British playwrights uh, knocking around this country, just unable to get produced. Yeah. So at the, at the downstairs at the Hampstead, six uh, yeah six out of the eight were written by women, all living and working in Britain and Ireland. But on the main stage, there was four production from women, um, but only only one was written by a British writer. The other others were um, American women. Um, what other kind of things of note did you pick out from this, Matt? Um, so the the there were a couple uh, of just astonishingly short runs. Mm. So um, uh, uh, Pericles at the National, uh, adapted by Chris Bush, um, was actually on the Olivier, the only British woman performed on the Olivier this year, uh, but it only got three performances. Yeah. Three performances. When the standard run is how long? At the In the Olivier? Yeah. Weeks? Yeah. Months? 12 weeks, I'd say, yeah. usually. And um, I like that she's making the point that um, theatres seem to think they should be aiming for 50%. And anywhere if they get <laughs> anywhere near that, that's brilliant pat on the back. And certainly never consider exceeding 50%. Like, that would be terrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be too, a step too far in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, wrong direction, exactly. Yes, it's the, the all caps. Here's a little secret. You don't have to stop at 50%. Yeah. Um, specifically in the um, again in relation to the Olivier this point was made um, is there's so Rufus Norris the artistic director at the National um, has said uh, in press conferences that um, some of the women playwrights that he has programmed have actually requested not to be in the Olivier for whatever reason Um, and that can be a valid artistic choice absolutely Um, it can be to do with a lot of factors. But the the point is, if you're commissioning a certain number of women and none of them want the Olivier, that you don't have to... St- you can then commission more women who yes. might want the Olivier. Yes. Which go, oh, the, the ladies don't like the <laughs> yeah. Olivier. We'll give them a small space. They feel more yeah. comfortable there. Um, yeah, noting that towards the bottom of the list, again, uh, same as last year, Old Vic... So, at first glance, uh, she writes, The Old Vic Theatre's three out of nine plays being written by women puts it on a low par with the bush. But the problem is, uh, as it goes on, that uh, Annie B. Parsons' um, 17th century is only running for four days. Ah, yes, that was the other very short run. Four days. And... um, and that Sylvia is only running for three weeks. And that's... So that's two out of the three female-written plays are having a four day and three week run up against the 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 male plays which are getting eight weeks each yeah and the old vic is um starting from a a long way behind after i seem to remember when we talked about this last year that under spacey's tenure i don't think he programmed a single woman did he um i think there was one one and it was a co-writing credit yeah so it's like probably by accident (laughs) Um, and Donmar Warehouse is at the very bottom. So, yeah, which is um, again, there's a point there to be made about women in the top jobs and whether that has a trickle down effect to more women being programmed. Because Josie yeah. Walk is the artistic director there, yeah, um, and has uh, when she leaves at the end of the year, she'll be she'll have been artistic director there for ten years. Yep. She's only ever um, produced two plays by women in that whole in time. In ten years. So she's she's almost on par with um, Kevin Spacey because he's yeah. there for ten years as well. Yep. So, I mean, that's sad, isn't it? It's sad, but I guess the um, like the call to action to take from it is do do better. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's not Could a lot. Do but... significantly better. It's, it's difficult to know what 
we or people listening can do other than like shout loudly about how this is unacceptable uh bums on seats go and see plays written by women yeah that's what you can do prove to them i mean that people time and again are like oh yeah but they don't sell as well because female yeah. writers aren't as there are as many well known female yeah. writers oh, it's it, like oh. it sold out the three night run I don't think it would have sold out anymore yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a thing that you can do and also if you're a female writer um, please keep going you yeah. got this <laughs> we, we believe in you we, we believe in you clap if you believe in female playwrights <laughs> <laughs> oh man I've got to laugh or you'll cry Good. Well, thank you very much, Victoria Sadler, for producing that yet again. That has um, gives us all food for thought. It's good to see it all rounded up. Yeah, it's 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 not very tasty food for thought, but it is nutritious and good for you and yeah. required. It's like medicine. So dry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry for making smacking noises <laughs> into your ears. Ah, oh, boy. Okay, right. We're gonna now round off. Today's extravaganza with um, the penultimate episode of Black Shark. <gasps> I know. Four it's out of five. New. It's, yeah, we're rattling towards a climax right I know, now. I know. I'm excited and a bit scared. So, last time, Art and Martha heard a seal and then a pair of glowing spooky eyes appeared, but it turned out to be the lights of a boat. Martha was left alone until the dog turned up. So where is Art? And is that dog just a normal dog? Yeah, what? Why would you ask that? Because <laughs> I think it might not be a normal dog. <sighs> anyway, we're going to find out right now and we will be back in your ears in a couple of weeks' time. Enjoy. Come on, pick up. Art, when you get this, call me back. I could really use you now. You must be out of reception or or have you dropped your phone. I mean, it can't get much worse. Art, if you get this, I haven't moved. I can't leave three bags and I can't carry six, especially as the moon's gone in. So try sticking to your promise and not being a numpty. Sorry, I freaked out. I noticed. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, well, let's get out of here. Can't move yet. Not till the moon comes out again. We can use the torches now, can't we? No lights if we can help it. My torches died anyway. I'm bricking it here. Why did Lucy ever marry you? Sometimes I wonder. We're doing okay. Well, I suppose we'd better just wait for the moon then. Maybe we don't have to. Look, there. Can you see it? See what? That light. What light? It's the light on the village church. Where? It's the church above the village. The light's in the tower. I'm sure it is. Can't you see it? No, where? Over in the east. How would I know which way's east? Did you not look at the map before we came? Of course I did. Then you'll know which way's east. No. <sighs> Open sea, northerly coast, north. Harbour, southwest. Beach on harbour, southeast. Town, inland, east. Over there. I can't see it. What are you, blind? Over there, where I'm pointing. I can't see where you're pointing. Over bloody there. Well, what's your point anyway? Well, if we head straight towards it, that's the village. What do you mean, that's the village? Well, we can't miss it. If we head towards the light, it'll take us back to the cars. No, you'll fall in a creek again if you just head in a straight line. So, we just sit here? We need moonlight to see the paths. We've got a torch between us. No lights. We wait. I suppose we better. No, I'm in getting loaded up ready, though. Here, give us a hand with the bags. Careful. I didn't want to do this, you know. I'm only here because of Lucy. I want to take her on the holiday of a lifetime to Ibiza. The nice side, mind. Stay for three months. All summer. Me too, in a way. Well, how do you mean? Well, I'm just here because of Lucy. Why? Nothing. No, tell me. A bit of time on our hands till the moon comes out. Why are you here because of Lucy? Oh, I got started in a trade to keep her. I'll tell you one day. How'd you get started, anyway? Well... I had this Ford Escort. You started dealing because you had a Ford Escort. Surely a Capri would fit the cliché better. No, let me finish. This Escort was a right old banger, always breaking down. What, well, I know that one. I got this Escort from a scrapyard as a runner, and it did run for a little while, and then it didn't. But the engine was good, so I didn't want to sell it. So, being as I was 18 and not up to much, no jobs going... I thought I'd become a mechanic, just to keep this escort going. 
but I needed a way to support myself through the course, and by the time I'd finished, well, I was making more through dealing than I ever could being a mechanic, so I've kind of balanced the two, dipped into one or the other, depending on which way the wind's blowing like. Then Luce came along, so I met you, and I'd never smuggled before, only dealt, but here we are. What about you? Well, I got started because of Luce. She was a kid, had to do what we could. I had to start dealing, round school, then round the estate. One thing led to another, and here we are. After your nan died? Yeah, well, not as such, no. After your mum died? Luce would be too young to remember. I shouldn't tell you. I'm not going to pass on anything that'll hurt her. Well, obviously mum died when Luce was a baby, and nan had us for about five years. I remember mum. I remember Lucy's dad, not mine. We're only half-sisters. Don't tell her that, though. Okay. I always thought you looked a bit too different. I think she might suspect, though. I've always considered us full sisters. She was my whole world, of course, when Nan went. How did she go? Oh, that's the other thing Lucy don't know. Nan was alive a long time after Lucy knew. She, Nan, had a funny turn. Took her out. Sorry, I didn't know. I don't think Lucy knows too much. That didn't kill Nan, though. Me and Luce went into care. See, it says something off in Nan. They wouldn't let me and Luce go back. Something in her had snapped. It all gets a bit hazy. I mean, I was only 12 at the time, but I do know the worst part. She went berserk on a night bus, waving a meat cleaver around and that. Gold. Gold is right. I think it was schizophrenia set off by the stress. I read up on it, of course. Researching's easier now there's the internet. Of course, that also means it's easier to be wrong, but it fits. I reckon it had been hidden before, but brought on by life getting harder. That's what happens. It's in the genes and gets triggered. Affects everyone differently, of course. There's treatment for disorders and that, though, isn't there? Drugs to control it? Oh, there are now. There were some then, but she'd hidden the signs, if there were any. If only she'd had a bit of help. But this was the early 90s. No help, and not a chance of care in the community after that. Oh, no. All away nick for her. I went and visited when I could. Wasn't a lot of point. Half the time she wasn't warm no more. She certainly wasn't Nan. She was in her own little world of pain. She took it out on the people around her. And you could never tell how she'd be. Might be fine. Might be sulking till she couldn't talk. Might yell her nut off. That's why I never took Lucy along. Though Nan lived another seven years. Lucy has no idea. I think Lucy just assumed she was dead. Only the good memories left. And me and Luce just got pushed from one foster home to the next till I broke free. Started dealing in school, then round the estate. Enough to get some independence for me and Luce. Eventually got me a council house and a bit of stability. And she's grateful for it. Well, in her mid-teens, when she didn't want to live with me no more, Luce found Mag and Rob, got settled. And you came along. How are they, by the way? Mag and Rob. Mag's Rob. They're fine. Anyone? No. Nobody here knows me name. Well, you must oh, have told... Shh. Where are you? You'll have to answer. You answer? Why is he coming from over there? I don't know. What? The sea's that way. Who's coming from over there? I don't know, Art. Arthur, come here. Bossy, isn't he? No jokes. What's going on? I don't know. Well, don't answer. Art! Arthur! He's getting closer. We'll have to. Well, if he knows us, he'll know where to find us. And if he doesn't? If not, then we got guns. Are you serious? Play it by ear. Art, oh, you despicable little bugger. Where are you? I'm over here, Twinkle. Where might you be? Hello? Hello yourself. Who's that? It's Arthur. Oh, come on. What's your Arthur? Where are you? Over here. Stop it. I can't see you, boy. I'll shine a light. You dare. Uh, no, I won't. Um, battery's dead. I've got one here. I'll shine it so you can find me. No, don't worry. I reckon I can find you without. What do you want me to come over there for anyway? (laughs) No, not you, boy. My dog, Arthur. Oh, for God's sake. Lost him, have you? That I have. When? Earlier on. Been out on the marshes all night, has he? Pretty much. Does he howl a lot? Yeah, when he's lost. Been following him around all night. What's he look like? What's he look like? Big black mongrel. How'd he lose him? How'd you lose him? I was out night fishing. First cast out, he thought I was throwing a ball for him. 
He chased away. He ran into the sea, then along a bit, then I lost track of him. Does he have shit for brains? That was silly, wasn't it? Why'd he bring a badly trained black dumb mutt out on a night like this? Why'd you have him with you? Well, you get lonely on your own, don't you? What are you doing out here, anyway? Night fishing. Get rid of him. Not seen him, mate. Sorry. Hold you hard, boy. I'll head over. Old as hard? Pardon? I'll come over there. I'll do with a bit of company. Quick, get rid of him. How do I do that? Just do it. But you'll talk to me about fishing. Go. Where are you, Arthur Moore? O- on my way. You've been rabbiting on about nothing and everything all night. Just spin him a line and get back quick. But... Oh, fine, I'll but... do it. Oh. Okay. 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 I- I- I'll just I'll just wait here. It's <laughs> okay. Guarding the bags. It's okay. So, if you can't keep them away, I'm here with a vast amount of jail juice. I'll be off to Sing Sing. Okay. <laughs> no, no. But think of the money, Art. Just, just think on that. All for Lucy. Just nice stuff. For her. And what what could you tell her? Okay, okay. Um, I haven't made the sacrifices you have. But at least I'm not a blackmailer. No, so here I am. Just, just me. And six bags of bad. <laughs> Plenty of money. If you don't get caught. If you don't fall in a pothole and drown or get buzzed by the RAF or tread on a weaver fish or upset a farmer with a gun or an omen dog or any bugger else who's wandering about on the marshes tonight. Oh, it's a stupid bloody place. Who come here for a holiday? And keep your voice down. Oh, freaking K. You've been listening to Black Shuck by Duncan Hands, with Rachel Knott as Martha, Alexander Pankhurst as Art, and additional voices by Tom Slatter, Duncan Hands, and Ellie Pitkin. The show is directed by Ellie Pitkin, with sound by Andrew Crane. The theme music is Mist on the Moor by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com. This was a Blackshaw Theatre Company production. been listening to the Blackshaw Arts Hour. Follow us on Twitter at Blackshaw Update. Watch us on the Instagrams at Blackshaw Theatre. Like us on the Facebook at Blackshaw Online. And find all the things at blackshawonline.com.